Hatamaria and welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, that's Wednesday. We're in February already, it's the first. Kornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, the latest update from the Met Service. Uh, also, Ponsonby residents talk of the ongoing stench amid the clean-up after sewage mixed with rainwater on Friday, causing floods in their home. Co-leader James Shaw of the Green Party is with us. He'll talk about Labour's reshuffle. Confirmation that the Chateau Tongariro is to close. So what will become of one of our most iconic hotels? The impact's going to be back on the taxpayer because the leaseholder for the Chateau, they're handing it back to Doc. And of course, Doc don't know how to run hotels. Why should they? So we're going to have to, as a community, work out a solution to this problem. everybody. Welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Rarere here. Yeah, we will be updating you on weather uh, around the North Island because uh, that's where all the uh, the horrible weather is at the moment. Looks like Auckland might have dodged uh, what was expected. Coromandel as well, although it has picked up. But it looks like uh, Bay Plenty might be an area we'll be looking at as well as the East Cape. So we will update you uh, coming up this hour uh, with the Met Service. First of all, though, we go to Australia where um, uh, Pam Corkery is, is sitting also in a very wet atmosphere there in Brisbane, but a different sort, Pam. I understand it's it's about a billion percent humidity where you are. 93%, and today it was 36 degrees. I honestly, it was like walking through sort of chocolate mousse or something. Just I don't know why I said that, but, <laughs> you know, you just your legs were just going, come on, let's do another one. Really difficult, but, you know, my heart breaks for Auckland and, yeah, further north today, yeah. 93% humidity. Only Ian Thorpe can move through that quickly uh, at the moment. Well, it, so me, yeah. it's, it starts mucking up with your brain around 40, 50% apparently. So I don't even know, I don't even know <laughs> if I'm in my own home. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Well, you know, if not, you'll probably make a new friend. So that's a yeah, nice Exactly, yeah. Now, um, tell us about, this is going to be interesting, the funeral of Cardinal George Pell. It's being held in Sydney on Thursday. What, what are police expecting? Well, today there will be a, a bid by an LGBTQI group, Community Action for Rainbow Rights. They want to be across the road from the funeral protesting, um, you know, when he's lying in state. That's today and tomorrow. Now, they've applied for this, and um, the police have said, no, they think anything could happen. No, they won't. They're right across the other road, the other side of the road. The Rainbow Rights Group, they want to declare their rejection of George Powell and everything he stood for. So it's fairly basic what he, what they want to say. Um, you know, but so I think the police are being difficult over this one. The Catholics seem to have quite the grip in Sydney, you know, sort of led by the uh, New South Wales Premier, Baratet. Anyhow, um, a separate silent event is going to happen in the forecourt of the cathedral they'll be representing victim survivors of child abuse and a church in southwest Sydney the tricky dogs mm. are going to stage a PAL supporters group to drown out the protests which is weird because they're going to be like 40 minutes away um, so I hope they're very loud um, You know, as we know at the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Sex Abuse Powell was found to have known allegations of offending in the Ballarat Diocese as early as 1973. So, you know. Okay, well, I'm a Catholic and I just want to say, mate, well, I was raised one, um, you know, just burn somewhere. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well, that's always an interesting one, that one. If we've got a silent protest being drowned out by others, it, it never goes well. So let's we'll keep an eye on that one. T- tell me yeah. about this. Now, this is interesting because you know, the amount of money being raised by political parties was trumpeted here uh, over the summer national with a whole lot there. The, the funding of political parties in Australia under the spotlight too. Only a few donors, but apparently they're giving <laughs> billions over the last billions. 20 years. So the top 5% of donors make up three quarters or made up three quarters of all donations. Clive Palmer, the mining billionaire, obviously the biggest single funder, around $135 million. But between 1999 and 2021, that small group gave $1.3 billion. Now, you know, given the reliance that the major parties have on big donors, the concern is um, that they receive special access and yield undue influence, which I think is a fair call. The special minister of state, Don Farrell, um, he seems a good guy. He says that um, he he will reduce, the, this is what we know so far, the threshold for disclosure from $14,800 to 1000 You have to declare every 1000 that you donate. Right, which I guess makes it more annoying if you're sending in billions because you've you've got to register a lot of those. I think you have people to do that for you. Yeah, I was thinking it it just occurred to me as it was falling out of my face and I said it to you. Some poor kid. No, not sitting <laughs> Give me some water. <laughs> um, now, the, the New South Wales Police, they're considering using special powers in an attempt to tackle domestic homicides. What What are these, what are the powers? Well, the special powers, if you've ever seen that um, task force Raptor on um, on the tally, they play it, it's one of those police things. Um, there is a specified law where you can preempt or, or put restrictions on senior organised crime figures they suspect of future involvement in serial criminal offences, including homicide. Well, the police want to do that for domestic violence offenders, you know, if they see that something's coming, they want to be able to slam down on it. Now, I think this is a great idea because, you know, there was in New South Wales last year, there were 17 domestic homicides. That's one killed each month, one person. More than double the number of gang-related murders in the same period. You know, nationwide, the figure is one domestic violence death a week. So mm. I just say go for it, mate. You know, they did four days last week blitzing this, and 650 people were arrested, charged with 1,100 offences. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this too, <laughs> I saw a picture <laughs> on the internet. I, I saw a picture on the internet yesterday, and now I understand what the joke was. So tell me this: the, the, what's the latest on this hunt for this? It's tiny. This tiny wee radioactive capsule. Yeah. Well, it's been missing for more than two weeks somewhere in Western Australia, in the vast area there, and. Um, even though it's been missing, this radioactive capsule, it, it was only revealed yesterday that the the capsule, part of a gauge used to measure the density of iron ore, apparently, had been entrusted by Rio Tinto Limited to a specialist kit contractor to transport. But as happens sometimes, it's sort of the, the, the widget or whatever, it was moving around a lot, and then it fell through a hole. So they've got the length of Britain to search for this tiny thing that could, if you were exposed to it, result in burns or acute radiation sickness, long-term risk of cancer. There's a potential, they've said, they may not find it. 
Well, if we have any mathematicians listening, listening, can you help Pam and I out and extrapolate that out? I hope that's the correct word. The needle in the haystack would have a way better chance than something that's, what, about half the size of a pea in in the Western Australian desert. So it's just somewhere there. There could be a snake wandering along with it in its mouth now, you know, which I'm kind of jerky with. Yeah, but, uh, or, dare we say it, over 14,000, 1,400 Ks, a child. I mean, this is is slack, slack, slack. It is. Yes. From from Brisbane, where the sirens are going off, it's Pam Corkery. Pam, thank you very much for your time. Uh, There she is in amongst the humidity there. Yeah, I don't know what the chances they don't even find it will they they just won't uh it's um 13 past five and you're listening to first up here on rnz national with myself nathan rarity well at least 100 people are now confirmed dead in the suicide attack at a mosque in pakistan the mosque in the city of peshawar was located in a high security zone most of the dead were members of the security forces the bbc's caroline davis has this report hospital wards tightly packed injured arrived late into the night. Some had been pulled from this destruction. Yesterday, the explosion brought down an entire wall of the mosque inside the police compound, trapping many in the rubble. 24 hours later, this morning, security was still tight. This is as close as we've been able to get today to the explosion. It happened inside the police compound just behind me at around lunchtime. Now, even now, there is still clearly a lot of activity going on. We've seen ambulances coming in and out at speed, and we know from the authorities that the search operations are still underway, that they're still using technology to try to find some signs of life. We have pulled out around 28 injured people from under the debris. Out of the last two, one was pulled out 10 hours after the rescue operation started. The second one was rescued almost 12 hours afterwards. But by the afternoon, the rescue team said they were calling off the search. Today's papers read 63 killed in the blast, a number that's only increased. It is a matter of great concern for us that the bombers can enter mosques. So many people were martyred. How can terrorists enter a police compound? If the police don't have security, what safety can they provide for us? The central body of the Pakistani Taliban denied any involvement, saying it does not target mosques, but a commander from a group affiliated to them had earlier claimed the explosion. Violent attacks in Pakistan, mostly targeted at security officials, have increased. This is one of the most deadly for years and will make many fear there may be more to come. Caroline Davis reporting from Peshawar. 16 past 6, you are listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. Any concerns or any questions you'd like or just reports you want to give us, uh, 2101, always pleased to hear from you. In Auckland, it has been raining raining most of the nights, uh, as it has for a lot of the Upper North Islands. Uh, we go now to our reporter, Mohammed Alafashat, who is in the is just north of the city, actually, in Orewa. Uh, Mohammed, thanks very much for being here. Um, rain hasn't been as bad overnight as a lot of people feared. Uh, what what is it like where you are? Well, it's a very wet Wednesday morning here in Auckland. Uh, I went for a quick drive here in Oriwa, and there's a lot of surface flooding, but nothing's major has been reported uh, so far. Uh, of course, it's still dark, and it's too early to, to even tell. 
Okay, so that, that's good that you can't see any flooding around at the moment. What about, uh, I guess, access in and outs of Orewa? Yep, the motorway is all right. Um, I haven't actually been on the motorway myself, uh, but it seems all right. People are getting along fine. Uh, nothing's major still being reported. Uh, the council station has just recorded 10 millimeters of rain from midnight till now, so it's not too bad. Uh, it's worse in Whangaparaua, where they've had 10 millimetres in, ju- in just the past hour. Yeah, it certainly has picked up in intensity. I think when we drove into work, all of us were like, oh, it's not as bad. And then it's like the sky heard us and decided to dump everything over there. Um, so yeah. w- what is your plan for the, the rest of the morning here when you go to look at things? Well, I'll be in touch with you guys about that, but I'm going to look around and see if there's any significant damages in the regions, any slips, anything like that floods, um, see if any of the community has any concerns at all with getting access to maybe uh, fresh water. We've heard that some sewer systems have had it hard in uh, West Auckland following the floods there. So, yeah, just checking up on every, every, everyone that's in the region, really. Yeah, Mohammed, thank you uh, very much for your time. Gosh, I... Uh, um uh, when he's speaking there of the, the people of West Auckland, went for a, that's where I live. Uh, we went for a drive through uh, yesterday morning up Universal Drive, if you if you know where that that area is out towards Ranui, and um, you could see the streets just off to the side, and it was wonderful to see that sense of community again with people trying to help each other and all sorts of volunteer armies. I believe some of the I think one of the news channels uh, was down one of those streets as well. Uh, but then of course, as the wind uh, picked up yesterday, that was the bit where I thought to myself, oh, those poor people, because all of their possessions are out there on the streets, which obviously they want to get rid of, but I, I wondered about debris flowing around and, uh, yeah, the massive wall of water that came through. And it cannot have been an easy sleep uh, for them or anybody. And also, too, feeling for our friends in the Coromandel as well, who uh, got an absolute smashing, and then the weather came from the other way. So in, in the interest of that, coming up later on in the show, uh, we will be speaking to the Met Service about this to try and give you updates on things. So like I say, it wasn't as bad uh, as, as uh, had maybe been forecast for Auckland, which is a good thing. Uh, same with Coromandel as well. But obviously that rain uh, still continues to go somewhere, so we'll find out where those weather conditions go for you here at First Up. Just about at 20 past five, I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Uh, still to come more on the closure of the Chateau Tongariro and uh, like I said the Met Service there has a look at us and also you're going to hear about a royal who is a particularly terrible cousin. This week on Trade Me Joel Little's Titarangi home is for sale and if the weather doesn't exactly shout summer to you it can when you play the tunes from your very own ice cream truck. But first, producer Jeremy Parkinson talks with Trade Me's Ruby Topsand about an auction raising funds for Red Cross, which will help victims of this week's floods. This one, so far it's sitting at 10.50, but it's pretty new. We, we, this one doesn't close until the 5th of Feb. But a beautiful artwork by Mount Albert-based Joyce Ross and incredibly fitting in style and name and a beautiful gesture to, to raise the money for the wonderful work that the Red Cross are already doing and will be doing in, in the flood relief work in Auckland and those surrounding areas. I'm sure we'll be seeing more charity auctions on Trade Me in the next few weeks. Absolutely, as we often do around these times. And, and if you are listing something to raise money, we, we do encourage you to get in touch with the team because we will wipe listing fees to make sure that, that all of the money 
makes it to uh, the Red Cross or or whichever ever organisation that is, is doing wonderful work in those regions. Another charity auction this week on Trade Me. It's a Phoenix jersey for the Phoenix soccer team. I love this pink colour. It's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Who's this raising money for? So this is uh, raising money for the wonderful wonderful folks at I Am Hope charity. Yeah, and this is a particularly a special jersey, not but just because it's pink. But yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a great colour on its own. But it, it was a one-off. Usually they're known for wearing yellow, as everybody will know. But um, this was a one-off as a fundraiser that was born on the 6th of November 2022. And even better, they actually won the match against MacArthur in these uh, shirts too. So this one's signed by the majority of the team, the 2022 team. And lots of interest. 79 watch lists, a top bit of 205 and that's all with a couple of days still to go. This one doesn't close till Friday morning. Uh, and next up is an ice cream truck. This is an Iveco Daily. And it's all, uh, does it come with all the ice cream stuff inside or just uh, just the way it is? It does. And it's got the cooler and the ice cream machine in there by the looks of it. It, it works all in working condition. But yes, this, this one has that absolutely iconic 90s paintwork that will just be so nostalgic for so many of us. They're looking for twenty thousand dollars for this one. It, it, all in good condition. A little bit of repair work that's been done to it, as is outlined in the listing description. But this one has has clocked up four hundred twenty thousand k's. So it's been around, and it's it might have even been around in a neighbourhood uh, near you. But yeah, we might see some sun yet, and and maybe this is a great opportunity to to. Get an ice cream truck. 70 Scenic Drive, Titarangi is your property of the week. Tell us about this architecturally designed home. It's a stunner. This one is quite something, isn't it? So this is on its own a sort of mid-century gem um, with lots of beautiful work done to restore it over the years as well. Four bedrooms, one main bathroom, two en-suites, sauna, hot tub, exquisite level of detail and design according to the listing description. But what really sets this one apart is that it's got a soundproof hidden room that can be accessed by a secret bookcase. And it's served as a music room. It's actually the former home of the famed producer Joel Little. But, if you, you know, perhaps this is a one for a budding uh, music maker because it, it's got good vibes and good energy. Smells of success in that room, I suspect. But it but also could be used as an alternate lounge, lounge office, writer's den, whatever you please. But, yeah, a lot of good stuff's happened here. Um, a lot of great music's been made, and it is just a beautiful home objectively as well. Secret bookcase entry, yes. Ruby Top Sands and all these auctions can be found on Trade Me's front page. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. 1st of February. Happy birthday to you. You share your birthdays with these people. You already know this, obviously. Everyone knows who their own birthdays are, but here we go. Uh, some of these people. Harry Styles, 29. Ronda Rousey, she is 36 years old today. And Paulie Shaw is 55 years old today, buddy. Uh, born on this day, Lisa Marie Presley was born in 1968. And handsome old Clark Gable. What about those cheekbones? He was born in 1901. In Terrible Cousin News... In 1587, Queen Elizabeth I of England signed the death warrant for her cousin Mary, Queen of Scots. Hmm. 
this day in 1908. King Carlos uh, was shot dead on this day, effectively bringing to an end the Portuguese monarchy that, occup- that had occupied the country's throne since December 1640. He's Portugal's only monarch to have ever been assassinated. On this day in 1972, the first scientific handheld calculator came out, the HP 35. I was an FX82 kid. And yeah, there's arms raised in there, so I think all of us that are around the uh, around the half century mark raise your bats to the FX82. I remember getting it, just being fascinated by what does this sign one do in tan? Maybe just push the buttons, and then just yeah, I still don't don't actually know, don't really know anyway. But there you go. Um, so congratulations to everyone else there as well. Uh, if you had an HP35, you're an original. And on this day in 2003, of course, the world watched on in horror as on live TV the space shuttle Columbia disintegrated during re-entry into Earth's atmosphere. All seven astronauts on board died. Remember, uh, a, a tile had come off during the launch and they were worried about the re-entry anyway. The shuttle was flying its 28th mission and actually had been the shuttle that launched the program into space in 1981. And that uh, are your, those, sorry, I should say, are your happenings for the 1st of February. <laughs> Charles Beckford is with us from the Business Hive. Kia ora, how are you? Maura, I'm well, thank you, and if you'll pardon me saying, we're dry. Yeah, good. No, that's good. I'm pleased to hear that. Big well, jobs. Big uh, big jobs. Big, <laughs> big, big, big jobs, no pun intended. No, big jobs. Well, jo- tell me, what is this? These big job numbers due out today. We have from StatsNZ the... Uh, overview of the employment market, the labour market for the last three months of last year. It's expected to show uh, unemployment uh, at around 3.3%, possibly lower, touch, perhaps touching record lows of 3.2 or down to that. Uh, and modest job growth, uh, just uh, a sign of the slowing economy, uh, not as many jobs being created, but record wage growth. Uh, And depending, there are various measures that come out in these numbers. One is just on the actual cost of a unit of labour. That's expected to have gone up about 4.3% in the past year. That would be a record high. And there's uh, another measure which looks at hourly earnings. That's expected to have gone up as much as 9% in the past year. That's actually keeping pace with inflation and then a little bit more. Mm. This could be as good as it gets. The thing about employment markets, labour markets, is that they are a lagging part of the economy. We call it that because uh, people like to hang on businesses. They they hang on for dear life uh, to their staff. Uh, They shed jobs as a last resort. Uh, when things get tougher. So from that point of view, you don't see the signs of an economic slowdown in the labour market uh, for quite some time. And that means we'll still have reasonable looking numbers coming into this year for the first quarter or two. But um, we have to say in a slowing economy, the labour market will take a hit. The expectation is that jobs uh, unemployment, which is currently 3.3%, will rise perhaps to as high as 5% uh, by the end of this year going into next year. Now, all of this is music to the ears of the Reserve Bank. 
They, uh, because they take the view that one of the key components of local inflation is, of course, wage growth. It, it boosts company costs. Um, you know, there's, there's a philosophical argument that goes here as well, which is that on the other side of the coin, companies do quite nicely and have been ramping up their profit margins to make the most mm. of a you know, strong economy. So it goes both ways. But mm. the Reserve Bank won't be unhappy to see any softening in the uh, labour market. If it does see those signs, it could be the difference uh, in two or three weeks, whether it increases interest rates by 75 basis points or 50 basis points. Uh, and the the slower the labour market gets, the Reserve Bank will think it's uh, finally getting on top of inflation. And that will start to see the pace of rate rises slow. And in due course, it'll see the Reserve Bank actually stop uh, increasing the cash rate as well. So it, look, none of these things operate in isolation. They're all interconnected. Uh, we had the inflation numbers last week, the jobs numbers today. They're the last couple of really big bits. Oh, there's some retail numbers coming out in a couple of weeks as well, which uh, will be followed closely to see uh, you know, if people are actually heeding Adrian Orr's words. There's going to be a lot of people buying carpet in Auckland. Well, that's right. But, of yeah. course, you know, that's coming out of... Um, yeah, and, and that's one of the things about the floods is that there is an inflationary impulse hmm. um, that prices do tend to go up uh, when there's a big demand for... There'll be carpets, there'll be for jib board, there'll be for structural timber, uh, there'll be for furniture. Uh, you've got to bet that all those will figure through. Prices will rise because of the demand that comes out on that yeah. one. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the big picture. I can take uh, just 30 seconds to say we also have a story this morning about pay wave. And you know, everywhere you go, all the little shops are saying there'll be 1.5%, 2%, 3% surcharge on this, hmm. uh, on pay wave. You've got to ask why, because the law was changed last year to allow for a cut in pay wave fees between banks. Uh, now, either the banks aren't passing it on to the retailers or the retailers are just being greedy. I belong so, to a, a, a public club, I should say, where we decided not to go with pay wave because it was still going to cost more. And that was only a couple of months ago. So well, I, I guess th- the I answer think- is no, they're, they're not passing those savings on, I would uh, say. And that's actually prompting an <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 inquiry by the Commerce Commission. He'll Good. be knocking on doors, and that's what we want to hear. Wonderful. Thank you, Giles. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 7 I've just lost sound out of my headphones. Here we go. Okay. Um, now, uh, we're going to go to the latest on the weather overnight and uh, thank you very much uh, to John Crouch here our uh, uh, meteorologist from the Met Service who's with us. John, thank you very much. Um, Can you just tell us about the amounts of rain that uh, New Zealand has received overnight? Um, Morning Nathan. Um, Yeah, there has been a few good falls of heavy rain um, that have spread down over Northland and Auckland. Um, At the moment the the rain band that has brought the heavy rain is moving over Auckland City so we are getting some quite intense rainfall um, over Auckland in the last hour or two, um, sort of getting rainfall rates up to 20 to 30 millimetres an hour as it's passing over Auckland City at the moment. Um, overnight last evening, um, Northland sort of had between 20 and 70 millimetres of rain. There was a pretty good intense fall of rain in around 9 to 10pm when it had 30 millimetres an hour. Um, the good news is the rain band is pushing a little faster southwards than perhaps what we were earlier thinking. Um, so some of these places are getting a bit less rain than we originally thought. Um, the good news for Auckland, as I said, there's a heavy rain band going through there now. It should only last another hour or two, mm-hmm. uh, and now I think it should move south 
southwards towards the Coromandel Peninsula. Okay, so um, before we get into a, a bit more of this spread, I had a big look at the weather map before, so I'm hoping you can explain it to me. Worst, if, have there been worst affected areas, like any reports of floods or anywhere where it looks like flooding, something like that? Um, I think the problem with this rain band that we're getting at the moment is it's coming on top of what ha- has ha- sort of happened a few days ago. So it's not taking a lot of rain to get any, any more surface flooding. Um, so I haven't seen any reports of surface flooding so far, um, although I have had some reports just around Auckland City at the moment that there's a few streets starting to um, sort of fill up with a bit of water just as this heavy rain band's going through now. Okay. Um, you, you mentioned there Northland before, and I was watching the news last night. They were worried it had slowed, so I guess it's good, like you said, that the, the wind had picked up a bit. What, can you just expand a bit on what's going on in Coromandel and, and what happened through there? Okay, so they have been getting some heavy rain overnight, um, especially up in the ranges. They've had um, sort of 80 to 90 millimetres an hour, um, but they haven't quite got the heavy rain ban that's currently over Auckland. So that will spread down over there this morning. Um, we do have a, um, a red warning out for Coromandel Peninsula. It goes through to 4 o'clock this afternoon. But as I said, the rain band is moving a bit faster than perhaps we originally thought. So um, I think Coromandel will see some heavy rain this morning. It will pick up as this rain band over Auckland spreads down there. Um, but perhaps the good news is it probably should move through Coromandel Peninsula by midday or early afternoon. So probably just looking at the next six hours or so of some heavy rain there. John, yesterday, you know, obviously we were concerned about Auckland because we, you know, we knew it was a bit sodden. Uh, Coromandel as well with the same north and with a bit of rain. Uh, when I looked at the, you know, the, the bit on your app when you go, oh, it looks like a big plume of rain, looked like it was sort of dropping more down Bay of Plenty-ish, East Cape-ish kind of thing. What What is in store for, uh, I guess, those areas and, and I guess uh, anything else you want to tell us about what we're in store for today? Yeah, well, that is where the rain band is heading. So um, we should see it move down towards the Bay of Plenty, northern parts of Gisborne um, this afternoon. Then it will become slow moving there, but sort of gradually weaken um, later today and into tomorrow, Thursday. The good news is probably doesn't spread too far into the Gisborne region. So although they've had some heavy rain previously, they shouldn't get much out of this. The frontal band should um, effectively die away over uh, Bay of Plenty. Um, behind that, um, it does look like to be further showers around Northland, Auckland, Coromandel, um, especially on Friday. Um, the weekend actually looks quite settled. Um, then we are looking at a front going, another front going across um, probably late Sunday or Monday. And the good news about that front is it will actually bring a southwest change. That will actually push all this um, sort of warm, humid air that has brought the rain into Northland and Auckland out to the east. Um, and Auckland should sort of see quite a settled week next week um, as sort of a high builds in the Tasman and we sort of get some cooler southwesterly spreading over Auckland. John, thank you very much for that uh, from the Met Service. That is John Crouch. It is 20 to 6. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, Green Party co-leader James Shaw joins us live to talk about Labour's cabinet reshuffle and also the weather as well. And we'll have the latest on the permanent closure of the Grand Chateau Tongariro. The professionals of Morning Report are here after six. Kia ora, Curran. What's, what's going on? Well, as you can imagine, uh, you can probably tell me, it's uh, bucketing down with rain, I understand, in Auckland right at the moment. So yeah. we'll be right across that with uh, all the latest 
for Aucklanders uh, on that weather, uh, including two up into Northland and across the Coromandel and out to the Bay of Plenty. So there's plenty going on. We'll be right across that. We'll hear from Waka Kotahi along with Niwa, the Met Service, uh, and reporters uh, and people on the ground to get you the latest information. Uh, we will also have a bit of politics in the show as well. Of course, the reshuffle announced yesterday. We'll talk to the new Auckland minister, Michael Wood, uh, that's a new appointment. Uh, we'll also hear from uh, Christopher Luxon, the opposition leader who was in for his uh, normal Wednesday slot. Uh, and we'll look at the house price issue as well. I think there's another another survey out on that. Also, uh, unemployment data out today too. So there's a little bit going on, but uh, yeah, weather is going to be the key focus and we'll get everybody up to date on what is happening and happened overnight. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Well, around Auckland, the clean-up from Friday's deluge continues, and it was a double whammy for those living on one Auckland street. Residents in Ponsonby's Tawariki Street told our producer Mava Shikram they lost almost everything when the sewage main uh, overflowed, mixing with rain and flooding their homes. Here's our producer, Mavas Ikram. Kermit still can't believe how quickly water gushed through his Ponsonby flat on Friday night. All of a sudden, it was like out of a movie. Things just started exploding, like literally out of the out of the road. And then the drain system next to our house just burst. And the water there was a waterfall coming out of our neighbour's yard. And it just came through and the whole gate just exploded. And there was a torrent of water that just raced through. Kermit and his flatmate Zach live on Tawariki Street. Their home is in one of the lowest parts of the area. He says he had just arrived home from work around 7 o'clock when he realised how bad the situation was and wondered what belongings he could save. You don't really think about it, you know? You're like not really thinking about your safety at that point. You're thinking about <laughs> you're thinking about what is important. And the funniest things are like a bag of booze or like you're picking up things that are literally in front of you and trying to get them out of the house. Kermit says he feared for his life as he rescued his cat from the flood waters, which were by then contaminated with sewage. By the time I got him, in, him out, we were way deep like this, and he was on top of my head. My flatmate had already kind of evacuated himself and sort of tried to put as much stuff in a bag as possible. The poo water had kind of penetrated by then, and it was anything in there at that point was contaminated. Flatmate Zach was having a bath when water began bubbling up through the bathroom tiles. It was then that he got out to see what was going on. The neighbour had given me a glass of wine and I had a towel wrapped around me and then up to the top of the fence was water basically streaming down this walkway and it looked like a, like a gushing river and I was watching from across the road and then all of a sudden the river kind of just pushed our fence down and all the water was like flooding into the front of our property and kind of pushed my car yeah, exactly. um, completely into gone. the neighbour's hedge. My car, which is getting picked up today by the wreckers because the water was like past the dashboard. Is it a write-off? I'm guessing so. And like, even if it wasn't and I spent some money to like get parts or whatever, like the inside, if you thought the inside of our house smells bad, like the inside of my car almost made me vomit yesterday. Zach says neither have contents insurance and are temporarily living with friends after losing almost everything. You know how you get those texts and everybody gets them and it makes an obnoxious noise or whatever. If that had happened a little bit earlier before we could actually see the flooding that was going on. Maybe we could have done certain things like moved the car up to the street or lifted electrical things off the ground. But because we noticed it as it was happening after a whole day of raining, I reckon we weren't as good at figuring out what to do because it was sort of everything was going down around us. So just a bit of an earlier warning, I think, from whoever sends those texts out could have saved us and 
other people from losing as much, you know. Kermit says he's thankful for his support system, but some people on his street are not so lucky. The thing that made me want to cry, it's not our stuff, and it it was definitely the people that helped us, but it was also the fact that my neighbour came up to me and said, your next-door neighbour has no one that can help them get their stuff out the house. Nicole lives a few doors down from Kermit. She has lived at the property since 1993. She was too distraught to talk about the extent of her damage. Well, my house is completely ruined. I mean, it's the lowest house in this street, and it's absolutely flooded, and everything in the house is completely ruined. I've lost everything. All my photos that I've been collecting since I was 18, 19, all gone. You know, all my show costumes, all my... everything's just gone. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Have you had any visits from council, from anyone? I haven't heard from anybody. I've tried to get in touch with insurance, council, housing New Zealand, nobody, nobody. It's just, you know, you're by yourself. The street is lined with large rubbish bags filled with books, photo albums, electrical appliances, all drenched in contaminated water. Most people are not at home, but their belongings are strewn across the berms. Those who are home are only there temporarily filling up plastic containers and boxes with whatever they could salvage. The mood is sombre. Tash lives in a Kainga Ora housing development on the same street. It's been her home for 12 years. She was at a friend's place when a neighbour sent her a video of her house going underwater and a cat could be heard screaming. We rushed home, literally I'm up the road, so we came. The street was probably four houses down turned into a river, parked the car at the water edge, waded through, My friend got the cat. I unfortunately didn't have my spare key here, so I found a window open and we got through. And then I just came through the house, went through every room and pulled up off the floor what I could or thought was necessary to try and save. Um, My friend took the cat to the car and I grabbed whatever, some clothes that were dry, and we locked up and left. Last week, First Up revealed that the Grand Chateau Tongariro would no longer be taking new bookings. Yesterday, the company which runs the iconic building announced that it wouldn't be renewing its lease. Its lease, sorry, that was after a seismic assessment found it no longer meets safety standards. 36, 36 jobs will go as the property is handed back to the Department of Conservation, which owns the land. Our producer, Matthew Tunison, reports. When first up visited the Chateau last week, we were unable to make a booking for the remainder of 2023 or 2024. The adjoining cafe, which is owned by the Chateau's managers, was also closed, as was their nearby bar, Tussock. There were only two cars in the car park and hardly any sign of guests, other than a couple of UK tourists we spoke to, who'd booked way back in 2020. Not really. Not a huge number, no. Count them on one hand sort of thing, or two? Two. Oh, two, yeah. <laughs> two, okay. two, two yeah. or three. We were surprised. We, th- we thought it would be a lot fuller because it's midsummer, isn't it? The overseas leaseholders, Carr, declined to be interviewed, but said in a statement that a recent seismic assessment had found some hotel infrastructure no longer meets current safety standards. It said the decision had also been influenced by another of the district's major businesses, Ruapehu Alpine Lifts, falling into voluntary administration and the resulting uncertainty surrounding the future of the ski field on which the hotel depends. 36 hotel staff will lose their jobs. Ruapehu District Mayor Weston Curtin says the news is devastating for the community. It came as a shock to 
fear that they made it so abruptly and uh, without great bit of warning, uh, this certainly is going to be a big impact to the region and in fact country uh, because it's well known and respected. So yeah, it's a bit of a blow on top of the RL saga. So uh, yeah, I don't know, it must be jinx. So for the region, this is two of the biggest employers, is that right, in the Ruapehu district? Well, certainly they're significant employers and they're all in the same sort of location around the mountains, Central North Island. And uh, certainly it's a key part of our business tourism. And to have two of our significant uh, operators either fold or if not in the process of uh, declining, so we're really, really up against it. He says he was surprised to learn of the safety issues identified by the seismic assessment. Well, the building has actually been renewed since the 1929 build. You know, let's hope that it's not a huge amount of money mm. uh, to fix the problem. I asked Sam Clarkson, who runs a neighbouring ski hotel called Scotel, if he'd be keen to take on the Chateau's lease. I think it's now the opportunity for me to buy it and use it for my lawnmower shed. He says it's going to be up to the community to find a way to save the almost century-old building. The impact's going to be back on the government, the taxpayer, because what's happened is that Car Corporation, the leaseholder for the Chateau, and owner of the building, have walked away. They're handing it back to Doc. And, of course, Doc don't know how to run hotels. Why should they? So we're going to have to, as a community, work out a solution to this problem. And there will be a solution. Mr Clarkson says he's surprised that car pulled out of the Chateau deal, given how popular the area is with tourists. Gotel, our hotel, is absolutely thriving. We are turning customers away every day. So there's plenty of demand. What needs to do is knuckle down and sort out whatever the issues are with the building and or the lease and um, get back in business. Department of Conservation Operations Manager George Taylor says Doc will be working closely with CAR during the transition over the coming weeks. He says there are no current estimates of how much it will cost to renovate the chateau. Matthew Tunison with that story. Joining us now, as uh, he will be every other Wednesday uh, this year, actually, is the co-leader of the Greens Party. It is uh, James Shaw. Morena, James. Thanks very much for being here. Obviously, lots of uh, flooding uh, going on at the moment. Does that sort of put everyone's political agenda on the back burner for for now? Well, yes. Uh, I think... You know, all of our attention needs to be focused on uh, people in Auckland who have lost their livelihoods and very sadly, in at least four cases that we know about, people have also lost their lives. You know, it's a, it is a very severe, very extreme event uh, and and the physical costs uh, and clean-up is, is going to take a, a tremendous effort from, from the whole country, I think. You know, there were uh, I, when I spoke to Nicola Willis earlier this week, she mentioned climate change in, in the first sentence. I saw the Mayor Wayne Brown uh, in his statement that he read mention uh, climate change as well. It's something I know has been a, a hot issue for for you and your party. There I mean, is this something that we're going to have to get used to. Yes, it is. Very sadly, I mean, we we have been. We've known for many, many years that uh, you know the change in climate was going to drive much more uh, frequent and much more severe weather events. Um, and we also know that in New Zealand, how that is more likely to manifest is as flooding, flood events. I mean, we also have to face sea level rise, droughts, 
uh, and so on. Um, but we, in, just given the, the you know particular location where we are and on on the earth and our particular geography and so on, um, actually the, the most severe risk and most immediate risk to us is is flooding. And you know we've seen this not just in Auckland recently, but you know Tairawhiti, Gisborne last year had yeah. something on the order of four very significant events in a 12-month period. You've had repeated flooding around uh, Westport and Buller um, and on the west coast of the South Island and so on. So it, it is something that, that we uh, need to adjust to, uh, and it does mean that we need to invest significantly uh, in resilience so that when these events occur, they don't cause as much damage and they don't cause loss of life. So do you mean in, in infrastructure? Because it doesn't look like our infrastructure is up to it. So, so many uh, pothole covers or manhole covers just popped off with water and all sorts of things flowing out of them. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, fairly famously, our um, free waters infrastructure wasn't up to the task anyway because um, we have significantly underinvested in it over the last three to four decades, if not longer in some in some places. But also it was built to withstand uh, extremes for a mid-20th century climate, yeah. uh, not a mid-21st century climate. And, and so the conditions have changed significantly. So uh, water infrastructure, transport infrastructure, obviously, you know, you've seen repeated flooding in, in particular uh, areas uh, around Auckland the Northland, um, major washouts of some of our, uh, you know, very important arterial routes uh, in in those parts of the country, um, and and so you know there's uh, um, electricity outages for some houses, so you've got power infrastructure, and then of course you've got individual properties, uh, some of which are in places that are more prone to flooding than others. I, I saw two very stunned political reporters presenting polls on, on Monday night, which probably didn't go the way I, I guess people had uh, thought. What did you make of those polls? And also, do you, do you think that it looks like if the Māori Party holds the balance of power, which, would, which way do you feel they'd go, National or Labour? <laughs> well, it, it's not for me to speak on behalf of the Māori Party, um, but they have been very clear in the past that they would not in, enter or support a government that included the ACT Party. Uh, and, and so that probably gives you a, a reasonably clear indication. But it's it's really up to them to say uh, what their political strategy is. Were you surprised by the poll results? Not wholly. Uh, I, I mean, I think that the transition from Jacinda Ardern to Chris Hipkins was handled magnificently and went very smoothly uh, for the Labour Party. I think they, they managed that very well. Um, I've had the pleasure to work alongside Chris over the course of the last five years as a as a government minister and I think he is extremely capable uh, and frankly if anybody could win the election for Labour uh, it would be him. Okay just very quickly there the cabinet reshuffle obviously was a, a bit of big news there as well as associate ministers will, will you and Marama be working with new people? Uh, well by definition I mean for example um I will have quite a lot to do with Willow Jean Prime, who is the new conservation minister, because uh, there are very clear relationships between the climate work program uh, and the work of, of the Minister of Conservation, the Department of Conservation. Um, Penny Hennady is a new associate environment minister. I'm also an associate environment minister. And so, again, uh, there are uh, areas of overlap where we get to work quite closely there as well. So, um, that's not new. That's happened a, a few times during the course of the last five years. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had the privilege of working with some very capable uh, ministers during that time. Um, and, and so I just, those people who have kind of left the ministry now, I 
you know, I think they've done a great job uh, for the country and, and I'm looking forward to working with the new team. Wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, Green Party co-leader James Shaw. Yes, we uh, head to the end of the programme now. Look, wherever you are, I hope that the rain hasn't hit you too much uh, and the winds as well, and let's hope we get through uh, this today. Eh, New Zealand? Let's get on in there. Morning Report is next with Kim and Corin from all of us here at First Hope. Have a wonderful day. We'll be back in your ears up, Opal.